0: By now, of course, you are well aware that Emmanuel Macron won a stunning election victory in France, besting by huge margins the far-right candidate Marine Le Pen. But if you are like me, you probably don't know too much about Macron, who he is, where he came from, and how he emerged from the political wilderness to become one of the most intriguing personalities in politics today. On the line with me to discuss the French election, give a biographical sketch of Macron, and offer insights into the implications of his entrance to the political scene is Christopher Messneau, a lawyer and media personality in France. I caught up with Christopher from his office in Paris just a few days after the election. And if you have 20 minutes, and want a deeper understanding of the domestic and international consequences of this election, including on the debate over immigration, the European Union, and France's role in the world, then have a listen. Before we begin, though, I do want to note that Christopher is chair of the board of Humanity in Action France. I am a senior fellow with Humanity in Action and have been for the last 15 years. This is an organization that I am a part of and dedicated to, and also with which the podcast is entering a partnership to showcase from time to time the voices and expertise of people in the Humanity in Action Network. Humanity in Action is an international educational organization and global network of students, young professionals, and established leaders committed to promoting human rights, diversity, and active citizenship in their own communities and around the world. Visit humanityinaction.org to learn more, and I will have more to say about this partnership in a forthcoming episode. I am very excited to see where this leads. And now here is Christopher Messnews. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Well, I think there
1: are a couple of interesting takeaways from the election that took place last Sunday. Uh, The first is that France did not go down the same road as the United Kingdom with Brexit and the United States with the election of Donald Trump as president. That doesn't mean that the French population wasn't looking uh, to strike out at the existing system. In fact, the French population very much struck out at the existing political structure, but in a very different way. The way it struck out at the system was by putting into the second round of the presidential election, two candidates, neither of whom has held national office, and one of whom, Monsieur Macron, who, other than a stint that lasted for a bit over a year, never really held any national office whatsoever. So it it was, you could say that it was similar in terms of what, people wanted to accomplish as what happened in the U.S. and in the U.K., but the end result is clearly very, very different.
0: So can we talk about Macron and his, his biography, where he comes from? He is not someone that was on my radar, and I take it he not, was not, not on, on many even you know, French political pundits' radars uh, much before this election. So who is he? Where does he come from? What's his biography?
1: Yeah, he has a very interesting background. Uh, he has a very elite French education. He went to Sciences Po. He went to the ENA, École Nationale d'Administration, which is the very, very elite school in France that trains very high-level government officials. The current president, François Hollande, uh, as well as Jacques Chirac, and many, many other illustrious men of state and women of state, went to the ENA. So Emmanuel Macron is very much a product of the most elite slice of the French educational system. Having said that, uh, he's taken an atypical path. He worked for a while as a government tax inspector. Then he decided to go into what we in America would call investment banking. And he went to the Rothschild Bank, where he stayed for approximately four years. He stated quite openly that his goal was to make enough money at the bank to give him maximum freedom going forward in his career. And it appears from the amounts of money he declared, having made at the bank, that he indeed did do very well for himself. He then decided to go back into politics and get involved or re-involved with the Socialist Party. And and he worked with President Hollande, first at the French Presidential Palace as basically number two or number three running day-to-day affairs at the French Presidential Palace. And then an opening came up of... For Minister of the Economy, and uh, Emmanuel Macron, who had become close to the President François Hollande, was asked if he would like to become Minister of the Economy. It was a role he accepted, and he stayed in that position for a little over a year, and then he resigned. And we can get into the reasons why he resigned, but he did resign and. Basically, upon resigning, he started to make very clear, both explicitly and implicitly, that he had further ambitions. Uh, Well, he had one further ambition, which was
0: to try to run for president, which is, in fact, what he said about doing. It's so funny to think about his biography in an American political context. You have a former tax inspector who became an investment banker and then a socialist is now president. Um not, yes, not something absolutely yeah. <laughs> um it's it's atypical uh and certainly as
1: Americans we would find it somewhat surprising, although you could say people go back and forth between governmental service and Goldman Sachs or other big new york banks so we we do have some of that in the United States uh but he's done something similar but very much at the highest
0: level of French education and political affairs. So I'm not as familiar with French politics, but obviously in the United States, we have candidates who build these myths and narratives about themselves to sell themselves to the public, to present themselves as sort of ordinary people who are inspired to to politics for one reason or another. Does he have that kind of myth built up around himself or does he have like a narrative on the campaign trail that he invoked to explain why he became politically engaged.
1: Emmanuel Macron is as close to a political earthquake as this country has had in a very, very long time. He's been, as I said before, he's been closely identified with the Socialist Party, and he served as a representative of the socialist government from 2014 uh, through 2016, so close to two years. Uh, when he indicated that he wanted, or he had higher ambitions, including, well, running for president of France, he declared that he wanted to do so under his own political label, which is this political movement he's created, which in French is marche and which in English we could translate as onwards or let's go forward. So he wound up positioning himself as when he left the Ministry of the Economy as a political independent, he has indicated his whole life. Everything we know about his life indicates that this man is not only highly intelligent and extremely ambitious, but he's very, very much his own person. He has a very strong sense of himself and what he wants to do. And the best confirmation of that is he ran for this country's highest office with uh, not under the political ticket of either the left or the right. So his narrative is that of an independent figure who uh, has decided that this country needs reforming, and the only way to reform it is to get away from the existing political parties and to come up with something very, very different. So in that sense, it's a political earthquake, which is similar to Brexit and the election of Donald Trump. But as I said, it's come out and the end result is very, very different.
0: Um, So earlier, Uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah.
1: No, I was going to say he also in his private life, uh, and I don't like to get into intimate details, but clearly his marriage is not an intimate detail. Uh, He's had a very long and stable relationship with what used to be his former theater instructor when he was in high school they met when he was 15 uh they got married when he was i believe about 30 she's 24 years older than he is so he's very much his own man both personally and professionally and that is a very strong narrative and it's obviously a narrative that
0: did him very well uh, during the election. Um, so earlier, you teased uh, a story of his break with Hollande. What what happened there?
1: He came in, as a, again, as a former member of the Rothschild banking firm. He speaks extremely good English, and he came into a French administration, especially as far as economic affairs go, that has been run basically the same way for the last 30 or 40 years by high government officials who have no private sector experience. Emmanuel Macron came in and believed that the only way to get the French economy moving and to get the unemployment rate down would be to adopt methods that we might call American style methods and more particularly Silicon Valley methods, encouraging startups, Improving the quality of education so that more people become engineers and software people and engaged in technology. Uh, He has a very strong affinity with Silicon Valley. He also has been to New York many, many times. So he's definitely enamored of at least part of how the American economy runs. And he wanted to do that here. And the government. The governmental officials who were over his head, both in his particular ministry and potentially the president as well, Francois Hollande, uh, basically found that he was going too quickly. He was trying to introduce a political and economic culture that was not typical in France. He couldn't get through some of the reforms that he wanted to. He was highly, criti- highly critical of the 75% income tax rate uh, that François Hollande has or had introduced. So like probably the so highest highest, in,
0: highest earning brackets gets like a 75% income tax rate?
1: Over a million, for anything over a million euros. Yeah, you're yes. paying 75 Okay. So compared to any other country in Western Europe, it was confiscatory. It put France at a severe competitive disadvantage. And, and given the proximity of London to Paris and the fact that London is now only two hours away by train, uh, it's clear that a lot of highly successful people in Paris got up and left when this tax was mm-hmm. instituted. Emmanuel Macron, to his credit, understood that it was not possible for France to be so different in terms of economic policy compared to its competitors, which are basically the United Kingdom and Germany. Mm -hmm. And he protested this measure very, very strongly. Uh, So for a variety of reasons dealing with method, ideology, and ambition, he ultimately realized that he was only going to be able to continue his personal and political narrative outside of the ministry to which he had been appointed. Have you met him? I have been at conferences where he has spoken. Uh, I shook his hand. I don't consider that meeting him, but uh, I'm not talking to him. Okay. (laughs) He is very impressive. He speaks very quickly. He speaks authoritatively. He speaks knowledgeably. Doesn't mean he's perfect or that all of his ideas are going to succeed, But he is in many, many ways uh, a breath of fresh air in a way that people in France have found shocking, either positively or negatively,
0: uh, and that people outside of France seem to be reacting very well to. Um, Do we know anything about how he might conduct French foreign policy in any way that might be different from Hollande? I mean... Understood that, that Hollande was, was deeply unpopular in France, but at least in the international community in general and the UN in, in particular, he was a very popular figure for, for a number of reasons, for deploying troops to Central African Republic to stave off a of genocide, uh, to Mali, of course, providing the, the backbone, uh, of diplomatic corps for the Paris Agreement to come to fruition. He was a pretty widely liked figure around the United Nations, um, if not, of course, inside France itself. Um, so, So is is there like a sense that Macron may may be a departure from from any of that?
1: Macron has made clear that he wants to strengthen relationships with the relationship with Germany. Uh, His first visit, which is traditional in France, uh, is to go see Angela Merkel, the way the first visit of an American president is usually with the Canadian prime minister. So in France, that tradition goes to Germany. Uh, In terms of policy relating to issues in Africa or in the Middle East, he has not been as precise and has not developed his ideas as well as he has on the economic level. Having said this, France is a world power, a nuclear power. Uh, It's got one of the two strongest and most developed armies in Europe, along with the United Kingdom. So I would not expect France to suddenly become more shy, either in terms of policy in Africa or with respect to policy in the Middle East.
0: Um, What on on immigration? Um, Obviously, that was probably one of the key sharp points of of dispute between Le Pen and and, uh, Macron. How does he approach the question of of immigration, of integration uh, in, in France?
1: He has expressed uh, great support for Angela Merkel's policy in 2015, which I think we might call an open-door policy. Uh, That obviously is a policy that much of the French government in 2015 did not agree with. It's clearly the policy that Marine Le Pen found the easiest to attack. So he has supported that policy. Having said that, there are clearly issues with respect to how many people can be accommodated in France, where they're going to be housed, where they're going to be schooled. Uh, So his idealism, which is always the case when people are idealistic, I believe his idealism at some point will bump up against reality, which is how how many resources do we have to deploy? Who will we let in? Who will we not let in? How do we decide? And then, of course, whoever says immigration, as you rightly said, also speaks about integration. And unfortunately, France in the last two years has also been the subject of three highly murderous terrorist attacks and a number of smaller attacks. So he's going to have to find, he's going to have to find the right balance between the openness, which I think he genuinely believes in. And the temperature of this country, which is, I don't know how I'd say this delicately, uh, is probably not as accommodating to accepting large numbers of immigrants or migrants as perhaps Germany is. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be an easy path for him to take. With specific respect to terrorism, when he had the debate with Marine Le Pen last week, uh, he said several times that he planned on being extremely uh, forceful with respect to terrorism what he called islamist terrorism he did not shy away from the word so he's a man who always tries to find the middle ground between left and the right and tries to position himself in the center on these issues which are highly comp- highly complicated and very very emotional uh, he's going to have to use every ounce of his intelligence to find a policy that will help him succeed, and it will not be easy.
0: Um, so can I ask, what is next for Le Pen? There seems to be a narrative, and, and one I think I subscribe to, uh, that that sort of Describes Le Pen's defeat in this election, uh, as, uh, you know, although she was walloped and, and it was a very lopsided election, you know, you still had one third of the country vote for her. And there are also deeper than that seems to be a normalization of ideas that used to be exclusively in the fringes of the French political debate have been creeping ever towards the, the center, thanks in large part to, to her and, and to her political influence. And I'm wondering if you agree with that uh, assessment.
1: I very much do. Uh, Having said that, I think these ideas have crept to the center in part for the same reasons that uh, a candidate like Donald Trump succeeded in America and Brexit succeeded in the United Kingdom. There are a lot of disaffected people. There are a lot of people who are watching their lifestyles disappear for both economic reasons and cultural reasons, uh, but in particular for economic reasons. You've got the whole northeast of France. If you look at the electoral map, the whole northeast of France went very strongly for Marine Le Pen as did large parts of the southeast. So These are areas where there is economic dislocation where immigration coming from the rest of Europe tends to go through the eastern side of France, coming from Germany, coming from Italy. Uh, So what are they going to do with their loss? Well, you know, they lost and they won at the same time. They clearly lost the election. Uh, On the other hand, as you said, uh, one out of every three French people voted for Marine Le Pen and the Front National, which in a country of 65 million people, if we extrapolate, that means about 22 million people support their ideas. That's enormous. That is by no, by no definition, that I would consider reasonable, that is not a defeat. What will they do with this? They're going to have to clean up their act. Now, she tried to do that during the campaign, basically step away from their historical anti-Semitism, tone down the anti-Muslim rhetoric to talk more about Islamist, uh, you know, extreme forms of Islam rather than all Muslims, She made some progress, although most people in France didn't believe it was sincere. So if they wanted to take this, what I would call a relative victory forward, they're going to have to continue to clean up their act. They're probably going to have to redo the party. Uh, The National is seen very much as a party or an extension of the Le Pen family. Uh, They're going to have to probably open the party up, the top leadership to other people. They may very well change the name, and they will reach out to people on the right, not the far right, but what we call the center right, people who might have voted for Mr. Fillon in the first round. They're going to have to try to reach out to people who voted for Mr. Fillon. And in order to reach out to people like Mr. Fillon, they're going to have to completely rethink economic policy because one of her signature uh, or sig- yeah signature initiatives was to take France out of the euro And that is not something that most people felt comfortable with. So they're going to have to do a lot of reconstruction.
0: Hmm. Well, well, if if they go in that direction, though, it really would be a a defeat for the far right. I mean, that they would feel compelled to moderate some of their stances in order to attract a more mainstream audience suggests that, um, you know, that, that they recognize that that kind of far right fringy. Uh, policy prescriptions that they advocate are just won't fly. And and so they're going to try to moderate themselves. So that seems to be uh, a somewhat uh, modicum of victory for the forces of liberalism in the country.
1: It might be. I'm not sure I'd be that optimistic, but certainly they will, again, as I say, they will have to clean up their act. On the other hand, uh, if they reach out to the center right, they're also going to have to keep their existing electoral base. And their existing electoral base is largely there for one of two reasons, either because of economic dislocation or because of hostility to the changing face of France. Mm -hmm. So the tightrope that they're going to have to walk is keeping the 11 million people or a majority of the 11 million people on their side, while at the same time becoming more of a normal center-right party. And I think as we see with the Republican Party in the United States, that's not such an easy thing to pull off because any political party is a big tent and you never have just one political current. You always have several and they're usually competing between them and they often provoke tensions, as we're seeing with the Republican Party. So we will wind up perhaps with a more normal, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, let's call it the Front National because that's its current name. We may wind up with a more normalized, and I'm putting that in quotes, "front national," but it's not really clear what the end result will be.
0: Um, Well, Christopher, this was very helpful. This was uh, you've I think done a really good job putting into context uh, this earthquake of an election. So thank you. My pleasure. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Christopher. Fascinating to see what kind of leader Macron becomes. And for you premium subscribers out there, I have just published a bonus episode for your ears only about Vladimir Putin, his biography, how he rose to power, how he consolidated power by besting the oligarchy that surrounded Boris Yeltsin Fascinating stuff. the conversation with is with an expert from the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and it is available for premium subscribers If you want to become a premium subscriber and if you want to see other episodes that I've published for premium subscribers then click on the description field of this podcast and you can follow the links from there and also see the other episodes that I've made available. Or go to com and click on the support the show link. Thank you, guys. I have many more of these exclusive episodes upcoming. So subscribe today if you have not already. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for supporting the show. I so appreciate it. Okay, bye.